Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. We've got a great show lined up for you today. It's one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite show, especially when Dr. McRae is scheduled to be on Poultry Research Translated, where she uh, um, searches the world for different type of research that's been done that could possibly and be relate to our backyard, maybe something pertinent to our backyard poultry keeping. And she reads it at her... Um, PhD level and translates it for us peons out here that keep backyard poultry <laughs> so we know what it means and what's going on. So uh, it is one of my favorite shows and uh, I'm so glad to have her on and so glad that this is the topic for today. Um, <laughs> I just want to share with everybody um, last, well, I guess this past Saturday, we had a great event out there at Fort Payne, Alabama, at Fort Payne Feed and Seed. It's a fantastic location, great event. Um, the setup was super. Uh, Tucker Milling went all out. They had a really nice, uh, it's like seven feet by seven feet, or maybe it's even an eight foot by seven foot banner uh, behind me as a backdrop, plus a banner to highlight their different feed choices for poultry. Um, and uh, it was great. We gave away a lot of prizes. We had chicken trivia. We did a lot of education. Um, overall, it was a great event, and the weather uh, moved out, so it wasn't bad. We didn't get rained on. Of course, we were undercover, but uh, we had a really good time. And uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, the 24th, I will be at Great American Supply and at Taylor's, South Carolina. That'll be Saturday April 24th, um, two days after my birthday, by the way, and uh, Great American Supply in Taylor's, South Carolina, 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, again, another getting started with Backyard Poultry Workshop and book signing and pictures and autographs, and we have a great time. Well, of course, we'll have tons of prizes to give away uh, and some Tucker Milling feed as well. So maybe you can make that event. And then we look on to May. May 1st, I'll be down in Troy, Alabama. I tell everybody, uh, where are y'all headed in May? I'm heading to L.A. L.A., yep, lower Alabama. So I'm heading to Troy, Alabama. Um, and then it looks like on the 15th of May, I'll be in Guntersville, Alabama, Guntersville, Feed and Seed. And then we may have one, another one down near Mobile in June, possibly. If not, we may have one up in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's going to wrap it up before the hot summer months get here. And then we are a look at maybe doing a small four, uh, maybe four event, six event tour in the fall. And we've got a lot of great things I'm really wanting to do. Can't really share with you because I know that some competitors listen to the show to see what I'm up to <laughs> and ideas. But I've got some really cool things that I'm going to try to kick off with Tucker Milling and their dealers uh, next spring. Something that I've been wanting to do for a couple of years now. Nobody else in the feed industry is doing it at the retail level. And I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm hoping I'll be able to kick those um, 
I guess, what would you call them? Uh, opportunities for the dealers, if you will. So, uh, which is, you know, it's going to trickle down to better customer service for the customer, you guys, when you walk into a store and have questions. So really, that's all I'm going to say, but it's, it's going to be really, really a great um, opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we get these programs implemented for spring of 2022. Also, you'll probably start hearing a little bit more about Cooptastic 2022, yep, Cooptastic 2022, uh, which is going to be at the beautiful Alabama 4-H Conference Center in Columbiana, Alabama. We had a fantastic Cooptastic 2020. Of course, Cooptastic 2021 was canceled due to the pandemic, but we're looking to get back at it, and uh, you'll probably start seeing more about that and how to sign up probably before summer. I'm hoping by June. Uh, you'll be able to sign up for that, and we'll start getting our sponsors signed up and, um, and get our classes and all of our speakers. And uh, So I'm really looking forward to that. It is the premier uh, backyard poultry educational workshop in the country, if not the world. I'll give you an example. Last year, uh, two years ago, I guess it was. No, it was last year. It's still 2021, right? Yeah. So <laughs> last year we had, I believe it was it was seven, eight, or nine. If you count Dr. McRae, I think it might have been nine poultry scientists, poultry veterinarians, poultry nutritionists that spoke at the event. We had three different training classrooms. We had a huge uh, open um, uh, area where we did events in the evening. We had amazing entertainment. We had amazing food. Everybody raved about the food that was provided uh, by the 4-H Center. And um we had a great sponsor area where the people could go by and learn about different things. We had some feed companies. We had uh, hatcheries. We had product companies that were there uh, highlighting their products. So that, that was fantastic. But the facility was absolutely gorgeous. It was perfect. So uh, And we had the hotel about half full. So we're, we're my goal this next year for 2022 is to have that entire hotel full and maybe even have to overflow into the dormitories. So that would be great if we could get that whole uh, whole hotel full with uh, Cooptastic 2022 folks. Really looking forward to that. So um, I have the dates, but I don't have the dates right in front of me. So I'll have to uh, get those to you. So you can at least mark the dates. And then also this year, uh, even though it is a fantastic value, I think last year, get this, folks, if you didn't know, last year it was $299 to attend and uh, guess what? That included two-night hotel and all your meals and all of the workshops. So you tell me where you can go and get two hotels plus all your meals. Dinner Friday, breakfast, lunch, and dinner Saturday, plus breakfast and lunch on Sunday, plus an evening of s'mores, plus all your snacks like cookies and chips and sodas, plus the fruit trays we had, plus the, you can't beat it anywhere. So there may be a slight price increase for this one. We're still going to try to keep it right around 300. It might be 329, might be 349. I'm still working with the facility to see if their prices went up a little bit. Um, but I don't anticipate it being more than 349 but still, I mean, that's a two-night hotel and all your meals provided, all your snacks, all your entertainment, so uh, still a phenomenal deal, and there's nothing like it out there anywhere else, so we hope you can attend. All right, I'm going to go to a short commercial break. I'm going to come back, and we're going to bring on poultry scientist Dr. McRae for another great episode of Poultry Research Translated. During the break, you can get that pen and paper ready to take all kinds of notes because I know you're going to want to, and we'll be back right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. 
this girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. Chickens across the country are flocking to Grubbits. These natural oven-dried black soldier fly larvae are sustainably raised right here in the USA. Grubbits account for 10 to 15 percent of a normal diet and are available at almost half the price of some competing brands. More calcium, stronger eggshells, healthier feathers, happier hens. Find Grubbits online at grubbits.com, on social media at Grubbits, or on Amazon, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S. That's Grubbits, the feed chickens need. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Tucker Milling. And uh, today's topic, poultry research, translated with our good friend, poultry scientist, Dr. Bridget. And uh, before we get started with this topic, Dr. McCray, did you want to talk to us? I, I, you know, you, you, you had in your text message to me uh, assumed I knew, and normally I do. I've just the last, uh, just I'm just covered up with stuff that's non-chicken related right now. So I did not know about the avian influenza uh, um, finding uh, in um, California, and we know they just kind of got over that uh, Newcastle disease um, outbreak over there. And uh, my first question was, uh, is that was that high path or low path? And you came back with low path. And maybe I'm wrong to do this. You educate me because you know we talked about AI a, a, a lot. Um, but when you said low path, I was just kind of like, no, okay, okay, that that's you know, okay, next. <laughs> so so let me know because I know that that, that there's um, it, it occasionally rears its ugly head and it seems to go away as fast as it comes in. I, I know it can mutate into high path and it's something to um, not play with. It's something to take serious. But when I heard it was low path, I was just kind of like, okay, next. So am I wrong by doing that? What uh, so, I mean, we're probably more than likely, I don't even know the place or I, I know nothing other than your text. I'm guessing they will probably call the birds and keep our fingers crossed it doesn't show up anywhere else and move on. But uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong to be lackluster about that. You tell me. Educate me, my friend. Okay, can you hear me? I can, loud and clear. Okay, good. Um, well, on March 24th, um, they got a presumptive positive. Um, but what they did is they, they do monthly testing for mm-hmm. all the stores that sell poultry in California, and that's because of the Newcastle disease mm-hmm. outbreak that was over 10 years ago. I think it was um, 2003 that it started. Um and so since then, the places that sell poultry, they do monthly testing. Mm-hmm. And so this was part of their um, surveillance, their early detection program. Mm-hmm. And so um, on March 25th, they, they you know, figured it out um, that it was a, an H5, low pathogenicity avian influenza. Um, okay. They also found that the gene sequence um, – was H5N3 okay. from a North American wild bird line. Um, so what does that mean for small flock owners? It means, well, this showed up at a place that sells poultry. Normally this is found in the wild birds, but it can okay. jump into poultry, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you said it. In 
just a very short period of time, low-path strains can turn into high-path strains and can get ugly quickly. Now, it's not a dismissive situation. It's a let's make sure it gets cleaned up properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you have low pathogenicity, avian influenza, um, you know, they send in a, a management team for the incident. Um, it's mm-hmm. going to consist of USDA people and California Department of Food and Ag people. Um, they go through and they, you know, clean up the store. They quarantine and, and do not allow poultry to move. Um and that flock and that store is quarantined. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, because that flock has been infected, it's going to be euthanized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the potential for that organism to still move off the site um, until it's fully cleaned and all of the euthanized birds are properly properly disposed of, um, you know, there's 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 just you just gotta kind of worry until you get an all clear and and remember mm-hmm. you've got to have a certain period of time where you know anything around that you know flock nothing pops up mm-hmm. um, and and if some people are like avian influenza that can make people sick well um, mm-hmm. there's no evidence that low pass causes mm-hmm. illness in people so don't worry there mm-hmm. this is not the new COVID no 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 <laughs> so. <laughs> Let's not go down that pathway in our minds, folks. But that's it's it's not a oh it's not a big deal. It's a just like with high pass, we got to clean this up really good and mm-hmm. really hope that it doesn't spread mm-hmm. because you know we're all human. You know during the cleanup process, something might not be cleaned properly or somebody might make a mistake who hasn't been trained before cleanups start. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's, those are all the worries. But and then, you know, it was, it was, given, it was spring. Given late. all the work that, given all the work that the California Department of Food and Agriculture does and has done to make sure that Newcastle disease is no longer a problem in Southern California, mm-hmm. kind of a bummer that they have to put that hat back on and go back in, mm. albeit for a different disease and it's a slightly different location, but, you know, I'm sure they were all pretty much hoping that it wouldn't be, you know, you know, years until they had to do something like this again. And just think of all the, the people who are losing money because they have to shut down and euthanize those birds. And how did the, <clears throat> how did the, um, you know, how did it get in there? Those those folks are filled with worry right now, and you got to feel for them. You really got to feel for them because that's mm-hmm. just a business owner. Yeah, um, and of course it was so, spring, late March. So you know, the, I guess it could have been one of the uh, uh, spring migratory flyways that maybe you know, we have to think that, about that. That is based a specific on... flyway, but you know. They'll probably have more information in the next several months as they take more samples and, and okay. do more analysis. Good deal. Well, thank you for updating us all on that because I had not actually heard about that. So, uh, and uh, yeah, all the folks that were kind of <sighs> sigh and relief. Okay, now we've got we got through this uh, <laughs> uh, Newcastle issue and we're kind of getting back to normal, quote unquote, normal with that. And then, like you said, this just kind of pops up. Now, like, uh, no rest for the weary. Here we go again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, if we'll, you're in, we'll... in your, if you're in the field of veterinary medicine, specifically, um, you know, anything that has to do with, um, you know, like a state vet's office, public health management, have that kind of background. Oh, this has been a tough couple of years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, poultry research translated. We're anxious to hear what you've uh, uh, pulling out so of your hat lined today up for, for you? us. Yeah, yes. Well, I decided to go with a little bit of a theme this time. Okay. And I decided to talk about some of the research articles where, well, they're feeding funky stuff to chickens and see what happens. Cool. 
So, because um, I do read on, you know, the different social media sites, people are asking, oh, I want to feed my chickens, blah, blah, blah. Can I do that? Or mm-hmm. what's a good blah, blah, blah to feed my chickens for this, that, or the other? And so I decided um, instead of people, you know, experimenting at home, their own chickens' lives, let's talk about four articles that are kind of interesting that um, (laughs) have already done the work for you. Great. Um, The first article comes from the Journal of Applied Poultry Research, and it's um, the use of achiote seed powder, which is Bixa Aurella L, as a pigment for the egg yolk of laying hens. Uh-huh. A lot of people are like, oh, I've fed my chicken peppers before, but I didn't see much of a change in the egg yolk color. Well, uh-huh. let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, as you all know, in different parts of the country, the average American consumer, or if you're in a different part of the world, the consumer of eggs has certain expectations as to what the egg yolk color should be. So in the United States, they like a lot of color on the coast, and they like it pale in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's about the best approximation I can give you. Um, and so, you know, chickens, chickens will put what you put in their diet if it's a, a certain ingredient, they'll put that color into the egg yolk. They'll also place it in their skin and in their fat. But um, if you think about it, um, you know, there's really only a very short list of ingredients. And what we're looking at mostly are carotenoids, carotenoids, carotene. I'm sure some folks have heard of beta carotene. Right. The carotenoid, carotenoid, um, those are put into the ration or the diet of the laying hen. Usually, a lot of that is in the form of corn. Hmm. Although there are other ingredients like corn gluten, some people have used marigold, some people use alfalfa, but there's really three important carotenoids, lutein, zeaxanthin, filth. And depending on what ingredient you're using, um, the levels of the carotenoids, um, they change. They change depending on how long you store an ingredient, how well that growing season was, where you purchase your ingredients from. Very great, a great deal. So in order for a consumer to get a consistent product um, and instead of throwing it away and then complaining to the grocery store that they got a defective product, um, you know, you, you've got to have good, solid, consistent ingredients, and there's really, right now, a short list. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were looking at this pepper. And and I, it's nice to have an alternative, and you know, the red and yellow xanthophils complement the carotenoid levels, and they get the yolk color that you want without using the really expensive—and I do mean expensive—artificial pigments. Uh-huh. And they are out there, um, approved huh. for use in the European Union. Those are can canthoxanthin and citrazan. Citrin, <clears throat> sorry, citrina xanthin. And, you know, and some of your customers aren't going to want to hear that there's something artificial in the diet. And, mm-hmm. so, it's always fun to kind of check out what some of the natural alternatives are. Um, production cost is also a big part of this. I mean, it's it's fun and cool to take a look at this you know, particular product, um, and it has a really cool history. Um, right now, Axiot is um, it's a cosmetic dye. So it's 
it's already being used, but not in this particular not in this particular vein. So that's mm-hmm. why they took a look at it. Um, what they did is they took 38-week-old 30, um, birds, and this was done at Zamorano University in the Honduras. Um, and I can say with uh, confidence that I've met Zamorano University students. Uh, they are very smart and very hardworking, and their English skills are Excellent. And so when we get, every year we get Zamorano University students here at Auburn University, and when they get to work, stuff gets done. It's done right. It's done quickly. (laughs) And it's just a delight to work with these students. So they did this work in in Honduras at Zamorano University, and they used the cow white laying hens. Um, mm-hmm. Those are single comb white leghorns. They used about 400 of them. But they used 38-week-old hens, and, you know, they had a variety of treatments. So what they did, of course, there's always got to be a control diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, they just gradually added small amounts of actioat powder. So they had, you know, and the control diet is just a normal balanced diet, um, and that was the baseline for each of the achiote, um treatments. So treatment group number two was control plus half a percent of achiote powder. Hmm. Um, number three was 1%. Number four was 1.5%. So it's not very much. And when you look at the actual pictures that they included, you can see the difference in the actual diet. You can actually see it mm-hmm. getting darker and darker or uh, golden orange color. What do you think happened, Andy? What, what did you, what do you think happened? I would guess that the more they added, the darker the yolk would have become. I'm, um, I, but I can't imagine that additive uh, unless somehow the chickens and the 35 taste buds could taste it at a different amount and it wasn't patable and they ate less and maybe egg drop egg production drop but maybe the more they added the darker the yolk if that's what you're asking yep yes that was one of the results um so you know it substantially improved the yolk color over the control diet mm-hmm. um So they found that, you know, it was an excellent, low-cost product um, that could replace the use of artificial pigments in maybe certain parts of the country Mm -hmm. or certain parts of the world. Um, They also found that, um, you know, it is a consideration that some people will pay more for a darker yolk. And so it's really how dark can you get without costing so much that that mm-hmm. the customer's not going to pay that much additional right anymore. So I think that'll be a good further study for them to look at. Um, the seed powder was also um, really good. It improved shell thickness and improved human height, and it also improves the haw unit, um, which, as you may recall, folks, is the ratio of the um, albumin height to the weight of the egg. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it could potentially be an alternative to reduce eggshell problems. And if you're reducing eggshell problems, you're increasing the shelf life of a product. And consumers want safer products, so there you go. Um, it's, you know, maybe this could be, who knows, down the road it might be a solution for flock owners who are like, well, I'm getting some kind of crummy eggshells. I can tell my flock's going into a molt. Maybe I can help them with this. I don't know. Um, they also readily disclosed that um, they have desires to do further research 
on whether this particular carotenoid pigment in the achiote seed powder will trigger some anti-inflammatory or maybe antioxidant effects in the chicken's intestines. Um, you know, maybe there's maybe this is related to the the risk that you got on external and internal egg quality, but they were focusing on the eggs, not focusing on the um, the immune system or the digestive system. So that'll be something that they'll be able to refocus their attention on in the future. So, um, you know, there was there were these positive effects that <laughs> that folks were willing to to do research on and we've got a kind of a cool answer for folks and I'll let you ask your question and there you go. That's kind of a fun study. That's good. I'm I you know, I I know a lot of and it comes up often, you know, what can I add to make my yolks from my backyard chickens darker or, hey, I got backyard chickens and uh, I've, I've read all around for years that their yolks are dark. Mine are just as pale as they are in the store. What can I add to make them darker? I Personally, I've never kind of fell into that um, need or want. I'm like, I crack them open and I scramble them up and I eat them. Um, but I don't knock people who, who want that. I don't know if anybody, I don't know personally know of anybody that would <laughs> pay more just to have a different colored yolk. Uh, I think it's, I think overall, when people see the darker yolk, they think pasture raised, they think, you know, access to, you know, outside or whatever. I think that's, whether that's true or not, I think that comes, that now is kind of the norm of what people perceive when they see that dark yolk. Um so I just don't know if people would be willing to just pay extra just to have a different yolk color. Some people are. Some people are, are quite happy to pay for something that they feel is is what they perceive as more natural right. or healthier. Right. And I guess so, with this pepper, you could still use that uh, all-natural labeling with those other ingredients you talked about earlier in this in this segment. That, you know, synthetic things that, pigments. Right, you know, I guess you lose that all natural label if you do that, and now you can have that same outcome of that darker yolk and still be able to utilize the all natural label because it's all natural. You're using plant based. So yeah, very cool. cool. All right, let's move on to South Africa. Okay. From Honduras to South Africa. Let's jump the pond. Okay. So there is something called Moringa oleifera, oleifera, which is also called the drumstick tree. Um, I thought that was rather amusing. So there's, there's different products in different parts of the world, uh, plants that we may never see in our lifetimes or have any sort of history with in our lifetimes. Um, and other countries, this is something that they see as, as an opportunity. And so, you know, if, if they're set up to do it, they'll do the, a little bit of research. Um, this, particular, uh, <laughs> this particular study was just um, taking a look at laying hens. Um, they looked at performance, the quality of the eggs, and they also looked at the fatty acid profile of feeding a feed that has Moringa oleifera, or drumstick tree, seed meal in it, a whole seed meal. Um, so they um, used 144 Highline hens that were 20 weeks old, and Highline hens are um, you know, single-comb white leghorns, and um, they they basically did four dietary treatments. Control, always have a control. And then in addition of a drumstick tree whole seed meal, in quantities of 1%, 3%, and 5%. And they followed these chickens on this diet for a total of eight weeks. 
So um, what happened? Uh, <laughs> well, they didn't eat as much. Um, they huh. lost weight. Uh-oh. Um, they didn't lay very well. <laughs> egg went, went down. Egg mass went down. But the yolk color was dun da da gradually improved. Um, huh. But the albumin height was decreased. <laughs> so, you know, the albumin, yeah, um, there was no difference between any of the treatment groups when it came to um, when it came to albumin weight, yolk weight, eggshell weight, eggshell thickness. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it was kind of like, oh, let's check this out. And then, then you kind of look at it and go, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> yep. Um, so as they fed more and more of the drumstick tree whole seed meal, um, they saw decreased in palmitoleic acid, which is their one of their fatty acids that, that they were looking at. But linolidaic, no, lino, linolidaic acid increased. Um, so, you know, you're kind of getting such a mixed bag here. Even though you're getting a way better yolk color, and, you know, you kind of maintain your external egg quality and you slightly improve the fatty acid profile. It was so rough on the layers that, you know, that's not a good feed ingredient to consider including in any sort of dietary profile that just over your chicken. Well, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it here. I looked up that um, the drumstick tree, and and just kind of while you were just talking about all that, and I was looking at description and cultivation and um, yield and harvest, and then of course we have nutrients and leaves and benefits, culinary uses, and it's just—it's not a lot of information. I mean, it's like one page here, and even the, under the different uh, topics, there's not much information. Um, and none of this information looks staggeringly amazing. Like, oh, you—it'll do this, or it'll do that, or it'll help with this, or help with that. It's very non-exciting. When I was looking at it, I'm like, it doesn't look like it's much of anything, or that it really does or improves anything, even at the human level. So, but I did look it up. The drumstick tree, there it is. <laughs> so one of the things that researchers have to consider is not all ingredients, or some ingredients look great on the surface, <laughs> but depending on the kind of animal that's eating it, there might be what's called anti-nutritive factor. Okay? So, for example, soybeans. Soybeans have to be cooked before we eat them. Or they give you a tummy ache. Same for chickens. Um, you have to inactivate the trypsin inhibitor. And turns out the drumstick tree has phytate and saponins and tannins and oxalates, trypsin inhibitors, and it's just a bunch of things that, you know, they affect the digestibility and the potential of a particular food to, you know, be usable by an animal, like even a chicken. So, kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. That's they're not all going to be. Yep, they're not all going to be amazing. Um, they're not all winners. I'm no. guessing. Yeah, they're not all winners. Hey, that's two out of four. So let me go to a commercial break, and we will come back, and we will finish out the other two. Perfect timing. And stay with us, folks. Fascinating stuff. We'll be back right after this short break. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. 
The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. Take back control and say no to nasty odors. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Let us continue with two more from the Poultry Research Translated uh, Pot of Interesting Things. <laughs> Move, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of something creative. Smoke. The poultry okay. research translated um, bag of tricks, okay. something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this next article comes from, I don't think I've talked about this journal before. It's called British Poultry Science. Very good, reputable journal. And this one feeding Agaricus subrufescens and Pleurotus austriatus mushroom as alternative additives in, to antibiotics and diets for broilers that have okay. been challenged with, get this, coccidiosis. Hmm. Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> Why are we feeding mushrooms to broiler chickens? Well, we all know that coccidiosis can do a number on the gut of a fast-growing chicken, of any chicken for that matter. But for a fast-growing chicken, like the ones in the European Union um, that are mostly on the ground, have access to the outdoors, and, um, you know, they can... Uh, get in contact with coccidiosis and, and really slow down or stunt their growth potential, you know, what if we found something that was natural that we could feed the chickens, doesn't hurt their growth, um, and it works. So most of you are probably familiar with the oyster mushroom family. That's the Pleurotus. And the oyster mushroom is really well known for, you know, it's, it's a nutritious mushroom, high protein, high fiber, low fat, but it does have a lot of phosphorus. And in certain parts of the world, that's a problem. Like when I was on Delmarva, phosphorus was a constant battle and an issue because phosphorus levels were so high from years of growing chickens there. 
might not be a problem <laughs> elsewhere, though. So this research continued. Um, actually, the research was taking place in Brazil. Um, even though this was published in British Poultry Science, the research took place in Brazil. Um, the other one, Agaricus subrufusens, <clears throat> is a sun mushroom, considered a medicinal mushroom. That's because of certain components of those mushrooms do a really nice job um, as immune modulators, specifically the polysaccharides. Their immune system modu moderate modulators, um, one of the things that they do is they can reduce or inhibit prostaglandin and um, maybe some immunoglobulin being formed. Uh, they can also decrease the activation of T lymphocytes. So there are some reasons why these particular mushrooms were examined. So what they did is they, um, and it could be a very good antibiotic alternative to menensin, um, and, you know, why not? Let's try it out. So they raised these birds up until they were six weeks old, 42 days, and they used 900 brother chickens from Cobb, and they had five treatments. They had a control diet that didn't have anything added to it. No anti-coccidios, no antibiotics, and the birds themselves in this particular group were not challenged with the coccidiosis. That's the negative control. Then you have negative control challenged. So they get that same diet that I talked about, but these birds were given coccidiosis. So you've got two groups that are very similar. They've got the same diet, negative control diet. One group gets challenged with coccidiosis. The other does not. That way you can kind of see, all right, what's going on when we don't do much of anything? With a plain old diet that we've always used, no special ingredients added. All right. Then you have... Um, the next treatment group gets 0.2% of the, um, I get the name wrong, hold on, the agaricus subrufusens, <laughs> medicinal mushroom. We'll just say medicinal mushroom, the sun mushroom. There we go. They get 0.2% of the of sun mushroom included for the challenged birds. And then you get 0.2% of the oyster mushroom for the challenged birds. And then you've got a positive control, which is um, birds that are given um, you know, an anti-coccidial inclusion in their diet, and the birds are challenged. So, yeah, you're going to see what the birds do compared to not giving them anything at all, giving them a little bit of sun mushroom, giving them a little bit of oyster mushroom, or giving them a regular old anti-coccidial antibiotic that they would get if they were identified as sick. So what they did is they raised the birds up as soon as they hatched, and at 11 days old, they gave each bird one milliliter of a solution containing coccidiosis. And then they continued with the study and take a look at them. Uh, at 21 days of age, they took some of the birds and they looked at the gut. So what does coccidiosis do? It likes to burrow into the sides of the digestive system. And they like to breed in there. And they're very, very disruptive to these the um, the walls of the digestive system. So one of the things they were looking at in this particular study is if you look at if you were to look at the wall of even our digestive system, it looks like a bunch of fingers sticking out mm -hmm. into a tube. And so those are called villi. Villi at the tip of your finger, that would be the tip of the villi. But if you look in between your fingers on your hand, 
there's a there's a dip, and that's called a crypt. So they looked at the, the length of the crypt, and so they they found that um, you know how much damage there was, um, or how many undesirable organisms. Um, yeah, you know that was one of the things they looked at, and of course you have to euthanize the birds to do this, and so they they took certain you know samples of each bird out of birds out of each treatment and examined them. Um, so the birds that um, had make sure I get this right. Um, Birds that were birds um, that were fed supplements with the mushroom supplements, um, they didn't exactly do as well as the birds with the antibiotics. So it wasn't a one for one swap out for adding in a certain amount of mushrooms. Okay. Um, and one of the other things they looked at was feed, <laughs> feed conversion ratio, sure. um, feed intake, weight gain. Yeah, those were all better for birds that had the antibiotics. Um, when they looked again at 42 days, so the full six weeks, um, the birds that received the antibiotics had, you know, they were bigger. They gained more. Um, they ate more. They felt better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, nah, not the greatest results. Um, they did look at um, some of the blood analysis, and nah. <laughs> yes, both types of mushrooms lowered the blood triglyceride levels, but. Um, yeah, if that's the only perk. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And the moral of the story is, yes, you can add these medicinal type of mushrooms to broiler diets without too much compromising on, um, you know, intestinal growth, um, intestinal performance, um, Hematology results, but you didn't get a great performance boost from them. So in this circumstance, when the birds are challenged with coccidiosis, maybe some more work needs to be done. Um, Maybe you need to change up the percentage or the type of mushroom that you add to the diet, and you might get the results that you're looking for. Or maybe instead of using... Um, something in the diet needs to be done in the water. Maybe it needs to be an extract of a particular active mm-hmm. ingredient. No. Mm-hmm. There you go. I'm wondering. Not another yay. Don't go out and pluck mushrooms in your yard and give them to your chickens. Still a bad idea. Heck of a vet bill. Don't do it. Woo. So I'm wondering, like, there you like, go. The, I wonder if the there's a large mushroom company out there that for some reason they had all these mushrooms and nobody liked the taste of them. And they're like, what are we going to do with all these mushrooms? And they're like, let's get the chicken company to do a study on them. That way we'll get, <laughs> we can get rid of some of these. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I could use gummy bears for, I'm going to give my chickens gummy bears and test this. What the heck? But, and um, who knows? Giving them gummy bears could be something absolutely positive. Like, oh my gosh, look at these results from gummy bears. But um, I'm thinking, okay, how? Whose whose idea was don't this? Don't go what? feed gummy bears to your chickens, because Andy said so. Please. <laughs> I know some of these studies. I'm like, where did they come up with this? Whose idea was this? Maybe I'll try gummy bears. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Don't I'm not saying my Andy. chickens have never. I'm not, 
I'm never saying I'm not going to say that my chickens have never had gummy bears. I have a ten year old and an eight year old, and they've had chickens a, a lot during their life. There's some of my chickens have probably had some gummy bears and maybe some smarties and and. No Whatever the kids else. drop, the chickens are like, right. hey. That's exactly right. But an exclusive gummy bear diet is probably not the way you want probably to Probably not a good idea. <laughs> exactly. Oh, me. But, hey, um, I might this fall um, do don't that. Don't give away well, something that you that you don't don't want other folks to, to glom on to. Yeah, like I said earlier, I'm not going to go on. But like, like we, you and I talked about, I think we talked about this on the air. Is uh, back when I kind of uh, withheld feed um, and said enough is enough. Go and and pre range. There you go. Um, do the uh, do this this the scratch diet. We we had talked about that, like something that's very not nutritionally balanced, and and see the kind of the effects and. I'll help you walk me through that because you had mentioned that well, instead of not giving them anything, giving them something that's not as nutrient as dense, like your laying pellets, and just give scratch. And I mean, that, that I think we could we can open a lot of eyes with that and educate a lot with that, and um, and show folks, you know. So like for 30 days before, I just started giving scratch, just as the eggs I was getting, and now I gave scratch, and now look at my egg production or. You know, maybe weigh not all my chickens, but a, a few of them, and see what weight does. I don't know, just something. But um, anywho, okay, you got one more for us. Yes, I think this one um, is called the effects of thyme and oregano on the performance and egg quality characteristics of laying hens. It's, it's a study that um, combined out of uh, Egypt and Germany. Okay. So. What they did is they were kind of looking at antibiotic growth promoter replacement items. And when the European Union banned antibiotic growth promoters, people were scrambling for natural alternatives. They were looking very carefully at all kinds of plants. And Uh sometimes it wasn't the the whole plant, it was a plant extract, or maybe they looked at an essential oil. And um, they were looking for substitutes, and people very quickly yeah. went back to herbs. And that's, you know, herbs have a wonderful history in being, you know, people's um, sure. medicine chest. So, you know, thyme and oregano have very stimulatory um, components to the digestive enzymes. So they have an effect on amylase and protease and lipase. <laughs> so the thought is, yes, it will improve digestibility. Um, so, you know, with the thought that these plants can um, improve the digestive system, um, improve absorption of ingredients, um, you know, this, was, this was a study done in... 2013, that wanted to see more carefully, um, let's look at egg production, feed intake, the quality of the eggs that the hens produce, and then the blood parameters in the actual hens that have been fed the diet. Um, And this this was a little bit different. They used um, 60 week old. These birds were over a year old. Oh, 60 um, weeks old. 60 weeks old. Oh, I thought, okay, I thought you said zero. six weeks. Okay, so 60 weeks old. Okay, no, gotcha. No. Six zero. 60 week old Highline Brown okay. laying hen. Highline Brown laying hen. Um, so they had basically, um, you know, they had, of course, a control diet. <laughs> and then they had either. 10, 20, or 30 grams per kilogram of thyme or of oregano. And although this particular study had small numbers of birds in each rough kit, only five birds, um, you know, they wanted to look at how these birds performed for 12 weeks. 
on these particular diets. So they went from week 60 to week 72. So three months. Um, so they looked at production performance on these birds and egg quality characteristics. And then, um, you know, they, they did balance the diet. So the diets um, have the same amount of energy and nutrient concentration. <clears throat> and so there wasn't much of a, a, you know, there wasn't much of a difference between the diets and the actual uh, meeting the bird's nutritional needs, okay? It was still a balanced diet. So what were some of the results? They had egg weights and egg mass and then hen day egg production that were improved for weeks 68 to 72 in both of those experimental groups for thyme and for oregano. Um, the most maximum response when they were feeding 10 or 20 milligrams per kilogram, not the 30. So more isn't always better. And it didn't matter if it was thyme or if it was oregano, as long as it was either 10 or 20 milligrams per kilogram. Hmm. Um, it did see an improvement in feed conversion ratio for thyme and oregano groups. Didn't, ima didn't matter which um, amount it was, whether it was 10, 20, or 30. Um, and they did not see any changes in egg quality characteristics. So if you look carefully at the egg weight, the egg mass, and the production and the feed conversion, um, you might be able to recommend that thyme or oregano be a beneficial addition to a laying hen diet. But I think I think there's more room here, and and most research will say more work needs to be done to see what the what the perfect amount is, because they were just kind of doing a little bit of a shotgun. Which amount should it be? Um, and then you can get a little bit. You can dial it in better. You can you know because why feed why feed twenty milligrams per kilogram when Really, what you need to feed is 18, and you're paying less <laughs> for your feed ingredients. Mm -hmm. So there. That's some Perfect. of the reasons why the work was done, how the work was done, and maybe, just maybe, there will be some interesting studies down the road that we can talk about on other subjects, but I thought these kind of fun and interesting inclusions in the diet and how carefully they were done. Mm -hmm. to see if there's an effect or if, it, or if it's artificial. Um, and they're very blunt and straightforward. You know, sometimes it just doesn't benefit the birds. So they, Interesting. Time and oregano. Mm-hmm. Time. Okay, so uh, that, that reminds me. If I could say time in a bottle. <laughs> you can. I went down the spice aisle in Publix and I saw time in a bottle. So Jim Croce. <laughs> so so Jim Croce from whenever he recorded the song in the seventies, I'm guessing. Um if he walk I'm I'm just just a tip, Jim Croce, if you're listening, you they have saved time in a bottle, aisle eleven at Publix. You can find it probably somewhere around oregano. <laughs> Oh, you know, after he made that, after he recorded that, how soon do you think somebody sent him time? In a bottle? <laughs> you know, yep. poor man's just like, leave me alone. <laughs> I know, right? I wonder if it's still today. I mean, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. From the second you started talking about that, I, that... I was on YouTube going, where's that song? Where's that song? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh everybody.
everybody out there is just rolling their eyes going, oh, geez, that's about as bad as your Christmas <laughs> carols, Andy. Your Christmas carols. So, well, great. Nice, folks, if you if you're now you know why this is like my favorite episode poultry research translated it's really cool stuff and and we and she mixes it up sometimes it's like nah, 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 nah next next ingredient <laughs> let us try something else to maybe there's some promise here this looks great or uh you know it looked good but it's not good enough to justify the expense and labor and delivery of this product to our hands. We're fine with the status quo right now at the end of the day when we count our money. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Very good. Four good ones today. That was great. That was great. Glad Thank you, you liked so them. much. Yeah, I did, as always, with Poultry trans, uh, Research Translated. And, wow, it's like the next time you'll be on is in May. This year's flying by. So the, <laughs> yeah. First Thursday in May, if you're not on the road or doing something with 4-H, then uh, we'll look forward to having you back on then. And we thank you so much for your time today and another great show, Poultry Research Translated, Dr. McRae. Wonderful. And your birthday is, is April 22nd, and my birthday is tomorrow. I did not know just, our birthdays were so close together. They Happy are so close. Happy birthday in yeah, and I'm looking down here on the switchboard. I do not have happy birthday in in my file. Um, I could play Sleigh Ride or Jingle Bells or Deck the Halls. or. You need a chicken <laughs> birthday song. I do. I'm going to look for that. You need to and, find uh, one before your I birthday. do. Let me see. I don't think I have anything close to that um, for birthday song. You've got a week to figure it out before your birthday rolls around. I do. Maybe I'll do that. And well, actually, I'll say oh, a belated, a happy belated birthday to Dr. McRae since last time she was on the show a day before her birthday, and I didn't have any birthday music. Oh, jeez. You know what? I don't have any birthday music, so everybody in the crowd can boo me. <laughs> I've got booze and I've got buzzers and I've yeah, got, you've got sub- that one. I've got submarine <laughs> alerts. I've got I've got applause. I've got air raid. I mean, all this stuff that really comes in handy on a chicken show. <laughs> but I don't, have, I don't have happy birthday. Clucking happy birthday. So I'll I'll look for that. So the next time you come on, we'll we'll sing to you. Um, the choir will sing <laughs> to you, and we'll get that done. So thanks for coming on today. We'll see you next month. You take care. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. What a great show. I have to work on that. Uh, have the, the happy birthday sung by the Cluckers. And I will get that uh I'll get that done. All right, folks, just a quick reminder as we kind of wrap up the show here. There's no reason why any of you should not be subscribed to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine, chickenwhisperermagazine.com. You can read every single issue we've ever published over the last six years. All articles are written by poultry scientists, poultry nutritionists, and poultry veterinarians, uh, so you know you can rely on the information, and you can read every article they've ever done over the last six years, and you subscribe to the free digital edition. But if you're like me and just like to, you know, it's raining outside, I'm going to sit in my easy chair, and I want a real magazine. Magazine. I can flip the pages or have me a nice cat educational catalog where I can refer to these these articles. $9.95 a year. We'll mail one to your front door four times a year, winter, spring, summer, and fall. That is chickenwhisperermagazine.com. And, uh, hey, we look forward to seeing you next Thursday right here on Backyard Poultry. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening.